Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Like many wine regions that flourished during seafaring heydays, the Bandol wine region emerged alongside a port town that shipped its wines. Wines from the region have been famous since Roman times, and official decrees to place controls on the wine production in an effort to control quality can be traced back to at least the 13th century. But Bandol and the surrounding area have a much deeper history. Some of the first humans in Europe had encampments here that date back hundreds of thousands of years. Pottery remains show that Greek traders had been visiting since the 7th century BC, and since then, Romans and later the Catalan dynasty ruled the area. In the 1300s, the papacy moved nearby. The region was struck hard by the Black Plague, and political unrest among the local rulers led to all sorts of drama. Much later, tensions from the French Revolution erupted in the area, and more recently, the region was politically divided during the World Wars, with an especially heinous chapter that lasted until the Nazis were ousted from the area in 1944. Things changed in the region as people approached World War II Reconstruction. In 1970, a major highway from Paris to Marseille opened up the way for tourists to visit. And this has dramatically transformed the economics of the region. You don't get so much of this in the Bandol area, but nonetheless, the increase in tourism in Provence proper has affected the Bandol economy and provided a ready market for the wines. The current mainstay grape of Bandol, Mourvedre, arrived most likely sometime during the 1500s to the 1700s. Mourvedre probably came from the Spanish town by the same name, but the town has since been renamed. In the last 400 years or so, the grape made itself invaluable, and the wines from Bandol were enjoyed by the likes of Louis XIV and others in his inner circle. Part of Morvedra's success here is the climate, which is ideally suited to its late budding and late ripening schedule. Morvedra can ripen ideally here, and Bandol reds and rosés are not surprisingly Morvedra predominant. 50 to 95 percent, usually with some Grenache and or Senso blended in. The reds are usually powerful and they need age to properly show. 
And so this region, walked by some of our most ancient ancestors, and visited or ruled by some of the most famed civilizations in history, has rebuilt itself after the tragedies of the early and mid-20th century. But despite upheaval and drama throughout the ages, in a Venice sense, the wines emanate the deep sense of human history that resonates in Bendel. Keep listening to learn more about one of Bendel's great producers. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at OffsetPartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand Eric de Saint-Victor of Chateau Pibernon in Bandol in south of France on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Very, very well. Yeah. Thanks to welcome me. What is the history of your uh, chateau in terms of your family? I mean, how did it get started? Uh, it started about uh, a bit less than 40 years ago uh, in the late uh, 70s when my parents were living in, uh, in Paris. And uh, my father was feeling like he wanted to do something else, you know, to leave the, the big city and... Uh, and do something uh, on his own. And he loved wine at that time. He was loving wine. No, no knowledge at all in, uh, in wine or anything. But he loved it. So um, he decided to, to dive in it and uh, to try to buy something. But at that time, his money was not, uh, was not earning a lot of money. So he had to, unfortunately for him, to, to avoid the Bordeaux region and the Burgundy region as well. He was kind of priced out of those. Places. Yeah, it was too too much too uh, too too much price for him. So uh, the Rhone Valley was a bit the same. So just by chance, they tasted the Bandol Chateau Pibarnon on the port just for uh, on the lunch, and they said, "Wow, what is that?" Because they didn't know about Bandol. For them, uh, at that time in Paris, they were drinking uh, Bordeaux and Bourgogne, a little bit of North Rhone Valley, but they have no idea about what could be done, you know, down the south in Bandol. They went up and they met a guy that just bought the estate uh, maybe two years ago out of an Italian uh, man initially. And uh, he was complaining, it's difficult, it's very dry, uh, there is no no water, uh, you know, it's, it's so difficult and so on. So my parents said, well, if you, uh, if you don't like it, maybe we would be interested. So he said, okay, let's think about it. Uh, they took a few bottles. And when they came back in Paris, 
they put the, the bottles in a, in a blind tasting with the, on their own cellar uh, bottles with some friends, just asking them, don't try to recognize, but just tell us which in the 20 or 25 uh, bottles you, you have on the table, which one would be uh, maybe the three that you would love to have in your cellar. And on the blind tasting, Pibano was part of the three or for everybody. So they said, okay, it's, it's in the South, it's not well known. Nobody's expecting some uh, red out there except rosé. But it's worth it because uh, on the blind tasting, the wine is showing uh, brightly. So uh, they came back to the guy and said, okay, we're interested. And so they, they started to, um, to negotiate and to, uh, to go for the signature. And finally, after six months, uh, it was a signature, but they were at the place, you know, where uh, the notaire, uh, the place where you, you sign, you know. Uh, Notary public. Yeah. And they were finalized the buying. But the mother of the guy said to my parents, Mr. Saint-Victor, do you remember the six bottles you took uh, six months ago? You didn't pay them. <laughs> so they have to do an extra check, uh, an extra cost of, uh, I don't know, I think it was at that time six bottles were probably about 70 francs, you know. So there was a big, uh, the big amount to buy it. And they also had to do a very small amount. Extra too. Check yes, there. exactly. So that was fun. And then um, they got, uh, they got the estate, of course. Uh, it was three and a half hectares planted well, at that what time. What year was that? It was in 77, late, late 77. They didn't do uh, the 77 uh, harvest. Unfortunate for me, having been born that year. I can't... Uh... Yeah, well, I mean, luckily for them, I guess, because uh, 77 was a very difficult year. Uh, and it was not a year to start uh, in winemaking. Life... <laughs> no, <laughs> just kidding. So, but uh, uh, life is good. <laughs> it's a good one. I don't know if you have many bottles of your, uh, of your age, but in France, it was not so, uh, so good. I was born in 64, so um, 64 is not so good as well. Oh, unfortunately. Is that why your parents got out of town? Because there was riots in 69 and they were like, maybe this isn't a good place to raise a family? No, I think they wanted to, um, I mean, they went uh, all around uh, Paris and I, I mean, the life there was, it was enough for them. They, they wanted to live and to do something else. And also my father was very much like an entrepreneur, you know, he was, he wanted to build something. And maybe I've got the idea also, he wanted to, uh, to rebuild something like uh, a family estate, you know, that was missing after the, the, the revolution in France, you know. And in his mind, I don't know, maybe it's a joke or not, but uh, maybe to rebuild something, you know, uh, to really start with, with an estate and a chateau and so on. It was, it was not like that. It was not snobbish at all. But I mean, he would uh, probably like to do something uh, dans la terre, in the, in the ground, you know, uh, yeah, with roots, and to build a house and so on, to pass on as well. What was your dad like? He had a lot of charisma. People would trust him, follow him. And also he was a real builder. He wanted, you know, he's been dealing, as soon as he bought uh, Pibarnon, he was dealing with bulldozers to create terraces everywhere, you know, on, on the estate for many years. So there was bulldozers every summer. Uh, That's <laughs> it, exciting as a kid, it, right? It, yeah, yeah, Kids yeah. Kids love Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the family... We would call him uh, Tonton Bulldozer, you know, uh, like uh, Tonton. Tonton is uh, Uncle Uncle Bulldozer. Well, that was his uh, nickname. <laughs> and so the first harvest was 78. First one was 78. When arrived, you know, when you buy such a small estate, it was only three hectares and a half planted out of a 16 all-in-one. 
because there was no water, so it was only whales. It couldn't be more because you need some water to make wine, especially in September. During the harvest, you need to wash, you need to clean, and etc. So you need water. So it was a small estate. But when they bought Pibarnon, they, they gave the, the money, they took the key, the, the, the owner went away, and that was it. There was nobody else, you know, on three hectares and a half. You have the, the hardware, the vines, but you don't have the software, the... <laughs> the winemaker, uh, the chef de culture, and, and so on, you know. So uh, it was quite a bit empty, I think, when they just realized, you know, they were, they were in the water at that time, you know, they had to... to learn to swim. Yeah, learn to swim. Pretty fast. Yeah, pretty fast. So um, he went to uh, an analogist and to say, okay, I just bought the estate, so please come and me, we, uh, you're going to be a consultant for me. But the guy said, oh, I'm sorry, I have too many uh, consultations to do. I'm not able to do that. So my father was uh, disappointed, you know. And uh, <clears throat> he came back to my father and said, but why did you buy the estate? You're from Paris. Uh, you like the view, I guess. Pondol is a fantastic place. Uh, <clears throat> is it an investment for you? Or My father said, no, no, no. I, I, I bought it because uh, I know it's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. It's very dry. It's uh, arid. But I love it. So I want to learn. I want to make some wine. And the guy said, if you like wine, don't worry. It's very simple. You'll do it. So it was a very good answer because he could have said, you know, uh, you know, wine, it's so difficult. It's, it's an art. It's uh, something. But he was not at all. And he just said, if you like it, you will do it. Don't worry. You will do it properly. So it was very good uh, confidence for them. And as a matter of fact, the first vintage, 78, uh, they got uh, the gold medal for the red the gold medal for the rosé, and the silver medal for the for the white. The first vintage ever. <laughs> that was probably good for the confidence too, right? It is. It is very much. Yeah. So my father, he wanted to uh, to join the first owner, the Italian guy, Modesto Ramonino, uh, that was coming from Piedmont, Liguria, uh, because his wines were outstanding, and the, the wines from the second guy were just, average and not so interesting. So he, he wanted to join back the, the guy from Piedmont. The guy who had been there making the wine before. Yes. A long time Make, ago. Making and, and creating Pibarnon at that size also. And um, and what era was that? I mean, when, when It was in the late uh, 50s, I guess, you know. I mean, Italy was uh, very poor at that time after the Second World War. So uh, people from the, the Piedmont, Liguria and so on, the money was, was just out, you know. They came a lot in the south of France to try to find some, some work and some job. And he was a very good, uh, I mean, he was clever, he was sensible, he was, uh, he was a, a real winemaker. I mean, uh, he was a bit like, a, not a guru, but I mean, he, his thoughts, he, he was using, uh, for instance, seawater to protect the wines, you know. I've never heard of anything <laughs> Incredible, like that. yeah. How about that? Instead of, of uh, sulfites, he would put a little bit of uh, eau de mer, yes, uh, sea sea water, yeah, to protect. Yeah, it was wow. it was done in the area. Yeah, it was I don't done. know. He used to. <laughs> I didn't know that. And it's pretty good also because uh, he was using the um, the elements around him, you know, which was great. Also, I'm sure because at that time he was doing already some um, mar, you know, brandy, and he was going in the Garrigue to get some herbs to put in his uh, in his mar, like they do in uh, in Piedmont and Liguria and. Uh, do you still drink that sometimes? Do you have a bottle or two? Yes, we do have. Yeah, yeah, very old. But it's difficult to open because uh, 
uh, yeah, no just a ship, yeah, yeah, no yeah. replacement. It's like uh, Tarragon, you know, uh, you know Tarragon, uh, la, the la Chartreuse, the Chartreuse from sure, Tarragon. Sure, yeah. it's rare. Yeah, it's rare. So uh, yeah, so that guy was uh, was interesting. So my father was trying to learn out of him, and so he was coming to this guy and uh, asking, "Okay, modest, tell me." When do you do the harvest? Because it's difficult. Uh, the, the ripeness is there, but how do you know the grape has to be uh, harvested? Monsieur de Saint-Victor, it's very simple. There is a time in September, October, when, when the grape has been a long time on the vine and it's ready to be picked. Okay, so you picked when it's ready. Exactly, Monsieur de Saint-Victor. Uh, the question... Modest, you know, when do you do the racking or the bottling? Because it's very important to we, we have to age um, one and a half in uh, in oak. By law. It can be in, yeah, by law. It can be new oak. It can be uh, anything, barrique, uh, large cask, anything. But it has to be oak. But of course, the the day of uh, of, of bottling is important as well. So modest, when do you bottle the wine? Monsieur de Saint-Victor, there is a time, after a very long time, in winter and spring, the wine is staying too much in the, in, the, <laughs> in the tank, and he has to go to the bottle. Okay, so you bottle it when it's ready. Exactly, Monsieur de Saint-Victor. <laughs> so it was all like that, you know, so he wouldn't learn at all. But doing it himself, of course, he realized that he was very much helped by a terroir, by the soil. And the magician was... Okay, it was Modesto in a point, but also the magician was coming from the from the soil, and he realized that uh, he would do when when there was some blind tasting in Bordeaux, most of the time he would recognize Pibarnon. So he thought, "I'm very good," but he was not like that. So he, he was trying to understand why uh, Pibarnon was different and recognizable most of the time, and it's because of the soil. So the geology came up quite quickly, you know, to learn about geology a little bit more. And it, uh, it happens that at Pibarnon, on the top of the hill, there was, uh, in the late, uh, uh, when, when the Alps uh, was created, uh, there was a big crush, you know. And so the bottom soils went on the top, uh, showing some uh, Triassic soil, which is from the second, beginning of the second geological period, compared to the rest of Bandol, which is the, the end of the second uh, geological period. So Pibarnon is as a soil which is more ancient, but that's not the goal. I mean, you could be younger or older. The age is not important. What is very important is that in Triassic soils, the pH is very high. So it's a lot of alkaline and there is a lot of active limestone. So the Mourvedre, the grape uh, on the active limestone is very, uh, I mean, it's probably a little bit tighter. There is some saltiness on the length as well. And you get fine tannins. You don't get like a big King Kong that Morvet can be sometimes, you know. We never get these kind of, of wines. And also the elevation uh, make um, maturation quite late. So it's... Because it's fairly high up. Because it's quite high. Yeah, it's about 900 feet. So uh, we have cool nights and uh, there is uh, hot days, of course, but it's, it's very good with cool nights. And also the sea is very close. So during the night, the, the humidity is coming in. And the next morning, because you know that uh, humidity, uh, hydric uh, process is very important also in the terroir. Uh, when the humidity is coming in at night, uh, the next morning, as we are in altitude, the warm 
uh, will evaporate very quickly this uh, humidity. So at eight o'clock in the morning, the vines are not anymore um, misty or you know humid or anything. So it's a real interesting place, uh, I would say. So basically, Bandol is kind of like a bowl, right? It is, yes. And yeah. you're kind of towards the top of one curve of that bowl. Yeah, it's a big uh, bowl, a big, uh, like a big shell, you know, uh, facing to the sea, a uh, bandol. And I think, uh, and we're just in the middle. And also our place has some bowls like that, you know. It's, it's amazing because the view is just outstanding. You don't know if you... Uh, but if you come to that place, you remember it. I mean, it's it's obvious. It's it's so nice. You have the vines, like an amphitheater. You know, uh, you've been in Greece, so you know about uh, Epidor. You know the the Théâtre d'Epidor. Pel- Don't give me any hard questions. And, uh, <laughs> in Peloponnèse, and it's a real uh, hemicycle. You know, amphitheater like that. And in front of the cellar, it's exactly the same view. And behind, there is some hills. And then there is the Mediterranean Sea. So it's just outstanding place. So it's good for us, of course. It's good for the view. It's good to live there. But I believe it's very good for the vines as well because of the soil and uh, and all of it. Yeah. Does that mean with multiple bowls inside of the property that there's a lot of different kind of microclimates? Yes, there is. Yeah. Over time, have they kind of emerged for you? Like, do you have different parcels that you think of differently? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, there is uh, some parcels. I don't know. They're, not, they're quite close together. But um, compared to the exposition, you know, on the slopes, well, it's terraces, it's flat. But I mean, the slope the, the slope is steep, by the way. And there is maybe two weeks difference of maturity. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, uh, and also we have, uh, in the big amphitheater, we have a north face also, which is very good for the white. Because, uh, as you know, um, the white is uh, ripening a bit early than Mauvais. Mauvais is so late to ripe, but uh, the white grapes are ripening a little bit uh, earlier. So it's very good to have north slope, which is cooler. And so it's good to keep good acidity and uh, late ripening with not too much uh, sugar and other ripe flavors and so on. That's, that's the fear. Mauvais and the white and, and the rosé as well. We think uh, about this wine as some elegance, you know, it has, it needs some ripeness, it needs some heat, it needs some, uh, some sun, but it doesn't show like uh, hot wines or any other ripe, right? That's very important for us. So it's interesting. So you basically take the microclimates and you develop wine styles around them because you put the white on the north facing exposure so that the ripeness is different in terms of the white grape varieties for vines. And then you also have Mouvedra in heavy limestone areas and you have Mouvedra in not so heavy limestone areas and you take the Mouvedra that's not so heavy with the limestone and you put that into the rosé, right? Exactly. That's it. You've been there. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's kind of like really letting you, it's letting the property kind of speak in different iterations of the style, right? It's a sort of patchwork, you know. Uh, well, we run about probably 230 restaurants, terraces, you know, which is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Is that a lot of labor? I mean, how do you even maintain that? Uh, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard work, but it, it's not all, all in one at the same time because we have some plots, you know, when um, Pierre increased, it was, of course, increasing on, on, on the very initial place, but also we could find some plots somewhere else. And that's how we... We started to do a bit more rosé, and uh, and then later on we started the second label for the red, les restanques de Pibarnon, which is not the château, uh, because the soil is a bit different. So on the top of the hill, it's a high limestone content, Triassic soil, and uh, when it's a bit more down the hill, there is more clay, 
And then uh, the Mauvet doesn't show the same. So that's how we do some rosé. Or we do the Restanque, which has, it's not as much Mauvet as in the Chateau because the Restanque has 70% Mauvet and 30% Grenache. And 30% will have an action on the body of the wine. When uh, in the Chateau, 5 to 7% is not, it's just for the uh, complexity of the flavors and so on, but it doesn't have any action on the, the body of the wine. So the limestone gives a more austere and linear palette to the Mouved, and you use that for the Vindegard. Yes, definitely. I wouldn't say austere because the, the Mouved can be, on the Chateau, can be very smiley. I mean, it can be very exuberant, uh, smiley, uh, uh, sex, not sexy because it's not, uh, it's not uh, uh, a Mrs. Uh, Mouved. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a he Mouved. Huh? It's, yeah, it has testosterone Mouved. But it can be quite elegant as well and also has some sex appeal, you know. I mean, it's not only uh, strong masculine wine. It's not austere. It's, it's can be elegant and, uh, and fine as well. So, and the limestone helps so much for that. So and, when you grow Mouvedra on limestone and you grow it on clay, does it look different? Like, are the leaves different? Are the berries different? Does it taste different as a grape? It's difficult to say. I don't think so. I don't think so. But But the taste... Is different, and even when we do the um, before we do the the fermentation in in the cellar, I go myself every morning in uh, in, in the vines to to see how, how it's going outside, you know, to schedule the next uh, harvest, you know, for the next days, what is ready to be harvested or not. Should we wait? Should we uh, do it or not? And when you taste the grapes, it's different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The seeds are not the same color. Uh, it's more green seeds on uh, on clay it's more brown seeds on uh, on limestone and the skins are a bit different the size of the grape is a bit different as well it's a bit smaller on, uh, on limestone so there is some tannins there is a great potential of tannins but again it's it's fine tannin you know, it's not uh, it's not big uh, king kong uh, style and do you find that those parcels react differently to different amounts of rain given the vintage like does the clay hold in the moisture more and the limestone doesn't or how does it work with hydric stress no hydric, uh, hydric stress, no, no in uh, in clay and no in uh, triassic uh, soil because the limestone, of course, has, has uh, have some clay as well, but uh, that's a big part also of the terroir because the hydric uh, condition is very important. We are lucky enough on the limestone to have uh, deep soils, so uh, the roots go down quite uh, much. And if there is a dry year such as this year, 2015 was very dry because the last rain was in uh, in April, I think. So from uh, May to October, there was no rain at all. So the, the vine has to has to grow because the, the, the green growing is starting in beginning of April. So uh, it has to grow without uh, water. So, of course, it's, it's good if there is some uh, deep soils and, uh, and deep roots as well. There was uh, parts of uh, some plots this year that normally go in the red, but it was uh, part with, uh, you know, hard stone under, and it was a little bit stressing, uh, hydric uh, stressing. So we picked them earlier to do some rosé out of it, which was perfect and yeah, uh, really very good, good for the rosé. Really so we, we deal very much, you know, I mean... Uh, I'm not uh, a nerd, but uh, when uh, we start the harvest, it looks like a Rubik's Cube, you know, you, uh, wh where to start. Well, of course, we know where to start because we know what is earlier riping and late riping and so on. But uh, every year is a bit different and, we, different and we don't mix every year the same plots together. We try to. I mean, 
uh, when we do the chateau uh, with Garazzi or Belair or Jourdan or those are all the climats. yeah they are the little climats uh, we know what we do but some plots sometimes they go with an, with one and with another the next year and so on so we have to deal with that I mean it's part of our creation as well I mean that's why we are here otherwise it's uh, it's industrial process you know so you get there when you're a kid, right? I mean, your parents are have bought this property. You show up, and you're just a young man. Yeah, like I a, was a little yeah, kid. Yeah, little kid. I was 13. It was big fun because uh, living Paris, when you live in a big city like Paris, you you can do things, but not much. You know, you you just take the bus, or you're not really allowed to take the metro. And when you arrive at 13 like that, you just do. Everything. You can go on a tractor, you can drive it, you can learn how to drive a car, you you deal with uh, wine and wine is alcohol. I mean, there is so many things to do on, uh, on this age. It's fantastic. It's it's good fun, you know. Uh, it was like a whole new life for you. It was. It was. It was just like a, a summer camp, you know, because there was so much things to do, new, and also adult things. I mean, it was good fun also to, to start working in the fields, uh, to get a little bit of money out of it also. I mean, uh, was, uh, so at, in summertime and so on. It was good fun, yeah. So from the fun. beginning, you were into it? Yeah, yeah, I would say. Did you ever think later? I couldn't uh, babysit, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was working in, uh, in a winery uh, like that, yeah. yeah. Pretty early in, you were helping out. Pretty, pretty early, yes. And I, I was in a boarding school uh, when I came uh, down the south. And uh, there was no, almost no employees. There was just one guy helping for everything. So my, the first years, my parents would, would wait for me on weekends uh, for the bottling, for instance. So uh, we would bottle, uh, I think it was about 6,000 bottles a day by hand, you know. It was only uh, four big filling the bottles. And there was two coffee machines yeah. by hand. It was tough days. That was difficult. And also my father was waiting for me in the in, in spring, especially to go and visit uh, the, the restaurants, we would put some wine in uh, in the old truck. It was very old truck, you know, no power. Uh, it was an old old machine, and uh, we would uh, leave on a Saturday morning, visit the customers, have lunch maybe on the beach, a sandwich or something, and then wait until uh, maybe five p.m. to visit again uh, the last people uh, in the area. And that's how my my father was doing some uh, his first business. I mean, uh, visiting the restaurants and uh, the, the cave, the, the retail shops, and, uh, and so, so that's on. fun for you as a kid to go to a restaurants. It was, and stuff, yeah, 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 yeah. That was fun. That was fun. And also uh, starting to taste at maybe fourteen, fifteen, and uh, I, I, when I was sixteen, I remember I was invited uh, by uh, some friends to do uh, a race on a boat. You know, uh, I mean, sailing boat. And then we had some uh, 78 on the boat after, I mean, I think the boat was, was, uh, won the, the race because they were very good. I was not at that time, but they were very good already. So uh, I think we won the race. So to celebrate, we opened the 78 bottle and uh, just drinking it just like that with no glass and nothing. I remember precisely, uh, I had a feeling and say, wow, this is, uh, I think the 78 was probably four years old or three years, four years old. And I said to myself, wow, it's, it's great, it's round, it's, uh, it's an architecture. It's not just a sip, you know, it's sort of architecture that you feel, some mellowness, some fruitiness, and say, wow, this is great. 
and that's how I started. Uh, of course, my parents helped me as well to taste and to uh, to be confident with uh, with my tastings, uh, describes uh, the wines and so on to to feel the, the wine properly. Because I mean, that's the key. If you don't taste in the wine uh, making, forget it. It's. Uh, Did you imagine at some point that you might do something else that you might not do wine? Yes, sure. Yes, sure. Because of of course, at that time, you know, Pibano was a small uh, winery and was not big thing, you know, uh, such as uh, uh, my grandparents' uh, story, etc., etc. It was my parents' dream, and they were working so hard on it every day, every uh, every Sunday as well. No holidays for a long time, and so on. So uh, it was not a big uh, example of how life could be nice in winemaking because it was such. Uh, a hard time, you know, but uh, also, I don't know. I think it came in my blood quite quickly, so uh, so I came back. Pivano. So after my my uh, my school, I did some, um, uh, biology, you know, because I was on the scientific side. So I did some biology, just two years. It was not so easy for me to get the diploma after the two years, and then I changed. I I was bored about that and. During my studies, Pibano was increasing, uh, the success was coming, the story was getting higher and higher and so on. And then I felt, wow, this is, this is great. Let's try just maybe to touch it on a more professional way. So I went to Bordeaux. I was lucky enough to do my um, some vinification and stage training at Cheval Blanc at that time in uh, 88. After that, I stayed in Bordeaux for one year. And then I came back at Pibano and said, my parents, well, this is great. I like it. You are like it. Yeah, yeah. I like it very much. And my parents, have, they, they've been working uh, at that time for 10 years, you know, very hardly and very... And I don't know, I felt that they were a bit tired and a bit, uh, you know, sort of um, on a flat... Uh, Their motivation was Yeah, flat. motivation was a bit flat. So, I don't know, I felt that uh, it was a good time to join. And, and to come in, and I, that's how I started in uh, 1989 uh, with my first vintage in the cellar. Of course, my father lending me uh, a lot of uh, everything, everything. And, and that's a really like, good wine, actually, the 89, the red. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, Belmondo, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Aging well, you mean? Aging well, yeah. yes, yeah. The, the good side of not, Bel- not Belmondo. Not out of breath, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good side of Belmondo. I mean, uh, sort of exuberance, a lot of character non-academic wine i would say right. you know it's i mean it's uh so it's on itself it's, it's a character i would say it's different and uh, uh i mean i find a, a rustic character to the earlier people not wine yes like yeah a, a southern so, france rustic yeah southern you know, french little... uh, rustic maybe in french we would say uh de la mash sort of chewy tannins and Absolutely. stuff like that yeah. not dry but still chewy tannins which was perfect with this uh, the food at that time, you know, because at that time uh, in the the 80s and the early 90s, the food was still with sauce, long cooking, pot au feu, daube, provençal, etc., etc. At that time, the wine were they need some tannins very much, but then I, of course the la cuisine, the, the new la nouvelle cuisine, the, the cooking was changing. Really in the south too. That kind of in the south, in the south too. Yeah, right? sure, sure. Like Lyon around that area. Like Lyon, like in Paris and so on. And it was also it was very interesting period as well because it was the beginning of the middle of the eighties. It was the start of the sommelier work, you know. Before that period, 
there was no sommelier. There was somebody trying to serve you if you were old and he was old, enough uh, convincing to, uh, to tell, Sir, you're, for someone like you, I, je conseille, I, uh, Your level is shamble. Yeah, like level is shamble, or your level uh, is, is petrus, man. or, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was not a, a real sommelier work. And there was some, uh, some young guys at that time uh, that became after big sommelier and still working in the, in the business as well. So it was quite new, the La Nouvelle Cuisine, the journalist and so on. And Pibarnon was part of this uh, big um, opening, you know. Uh, uh, so that, that was a great period. And of course, my parents were very uh, keen to receiving people, to tell about the story, to show what they were doing, uh, etc. In their mind, the people on the boat, in their mind was like a chateau. So when they would receiving, receive people after two or three years, they would receive them in a very small house uh, and everything. But it was just like a chateau story, you know, uh, already. They were inventing the future of Pibarnon, which is great. And also, I admire them very much for that, is that... They were creating the present. They were imagining and doing for the future. But also, I think they managed to create a past as well, which is well incredible because it was on both sides, you know, of the of the time. It seems like they wanted to find links to the past. I mean, not a lot of people find the old Italian winemaker that used to be there and ask him questions. That's unusual. That's unusual, yeah. and that's great. And unfortunately, um, uh, this guy. The Piemonte guy, he died quite quickly because he... He, he committed suicide. Yeah, he committed suicide because uh, he sold Pibarnon because of an affair. There was an adventurous woman from Marseille saying, you know, your wife is... Uh, she's, she's a peasant still. You are now uh, a senior. You are uh, a gentleman. You're not a peasant anymore. So he was just, you know, his head was totally uh, turned around, turned around, and so on. So, uh, so he left his wife. He came with this woman, and after maybe two or three years, she said, "But uh, Modesto, you're not a guy from the from the fields now. You are a citizen guy, a guy from uh, from a city, and you are a gentleman, and so on." And she managed for him to sell the Pibarnon to the man whom. My parents bought uh, the estate. And then she probably spent all the money. And then and she spent the money. She left him, of course, naked almost. And that's why he, uh, well, so. Uh, that's too bad. But it's good. There is some family. He has some fam still some family uh, on the hill. And uh, we, are, we have good links with them. Yeah. They, they like what we did. Like they did and they like what we did. What was the progression from you for you post-1989? I mean, how did things move along? It came slowly. Yeah, it took a while for you. <laughs> it did. It did because uh, at the same time I, I was learning, I was trying to fill out how, how I could put my my own um, soul, you know, uh, in Pibano wines. Of course, I mean, it was behind me, there was at least uh, already uh, 15 years of uh, very hard work, so I couldn't change, I couldn't just repeat what, what was done before. I had to, of course. But then uh, after maybe... Seven years, eight years, ten years almost. The 98 is the last vintage I did on my father's way, I would say. Doing some extraction a lot, leave some, some stem 
without looking if, if the stem were ripe or not, you know. Just put them in. Just put them in because it was a good process, a lot of extraction, pigeage, and so on. And the 98 appeared to be so powerful. The wine is great right now. But uh, when we bottled it, I tasted it and I said, wow, this is going to take ages for the wine to show. And I don't know, I felt that uh, a wine should show earlier, you know, when I would taste some uh, wines from Syrah, even from Pinot or for Cabernet. They were more drinkable young than, than ours. I still find that 98 pretty hard. Like it that's is. A, that's for me a hard wine. But it like is the quite. The taste of it. Yeah, yeah. But even at that time, you were doing experiments, right? Because <clears throat> you did a, a Mouvedre 98 and you did a Grenache 98. Yes, yeah, yeah. As separate bottlings. Yes, separate, so. just, just for fun. I mean, I, I brought this uh, for the tasting uh, the other day. But uh, of course, it was just for fun. I mean, uh, just to see how, how it would go with this kind of extraction on, on a Grenache. But that's if already it's... a curious mind. Yes, yeah, so of not everybody. Yeah. You know, sometimes people don't do that. But you have to, uh, you have to be curious in the winemaking. Uh, you only have... Uh, once a year to do it, huh? unless you go in the South Hemisphere, uh, but it's quite a busy time at, in your place at, at that time. I mean, so unless you go in the South Hemisphere, just have one shot uh, a year. So you better you better try every year. Otherwise, you uh, you miss a little bit, you know. And it's it's quite a long time to make a winemaker. I would say it's, it takes a long time to to let it go, you know. I mean, to trust the vintage, to trust your vines, and to trust your grapes. Uh, when you start, you want to show, so you want to extract a lot, and you want to go for it. You uh, you are pushing the walls, etc. You are sort of uh, you know a fight and or something. But uh, it takes time to accept that you can do big things without going so much in the extraction and, uh, and so on. And it looks like you are you are uh, leaving on the ground some uh, luggage. You know when you do that, uh, you you are getting a bit more naked. Uh, but I think the result is 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 getting better as well. I'm so, pretty fond of the wines yeah. that you're making. Yeah, you know, I like them a lot. Yeah, I think that a lot of times people say, uh, you know, we want wines that are more accessible that can age, and a lot of times that sounds to me like hype. But when I taste your wines, it seems like a real thing. Like yeah. I can taste the potential, and it does seem accessible. So it's kind of like the magical moment there. It's it not is. every day because a lot of people say that <laughs> yeah. and then it doesn't seem that way. Yes. Yeah. Most of the wines are meant to be drunk young or old, but both is very rare. Yeah. So it takes time. And then you trust, uh, you trust more what the Mourvet does, by the way. You trust what you do less and less. You see what I mean? You just let the Mourvet do. Yeah. You let the vines I think do. so. Yeah. As soon as you pick the grapes ripe, as soon as you understand uh, the vintage, how it is, if it's warm, how it's going to be extracted as the tannins and so on. The first uh, tank and the second one is very important because it's sort of, uh, you know, in an orchestra, they push uh, one uh, note, you know, K note, you know, la. <laughs> to get everyone on the same page. Yes, exactly. Get and that would be the first and the second um, tank starting to ferment, you know. So you know what's going on. You, you've got it inside. Yes, and then trust. I mean, if you have good grapes in the cellar, the best day, this is it, you know. Then you just have to ferment. I mean, uh, well, of course, in the fermentation, there is one point which is very important. 
we like to do some extraction at uh, Pibarnon, but I don't, I don't like to, uh, to do too, too much. So we don't do uh, a lot of pump overs. We prefer to do uh, pigeage. Uh, pigeage is a lot of energy for us and the students, by the way. <laughs> but it's, it's a slow and deep extraction. So you're saying it takes a lot of work. But it's better for the wine. Yes, yeah, yeah. But we we do it uh, handmade. I mean, it's uh, the tanks are big, so it's it's big work. Yeah, because yeah. you got to break the cap and push it down. Yeah, and, and you have to down. get up on top of that big tank. Exactly. Yeah, we do it. Uh, we don't. Uh, we are not inside because it's too high uh, tanks. But uh, we we do it with a big handle, you know, and we push hard. Sometimes to start the first one is very difficult. So we have to push. We have to be two person to, uh, oh, to really? push it to yeah. push down. Yeah, push like. Uh, like a rugby player. Like you a know? rugby player. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah you yeah. push hard. <laughs> and have there been vintages since 89 that really stood out for you as learning vintages? Like vintages you were like, oh, I, I did not realize. Yeah. Alors, I didn't realize, yes, 2002, for instance, because 2002 was uh, on the paper, it was a lost year. It was lost because uh, there was some rain in the, in the Rhone Delta, you know, in the south. Uh, a lot of rain. Yeah, right. a lot of rain. Like I mean, flooding and stuff. Flood, yeah, yeah. In, in Chardonnay du Pape, they got uh, 600 millimeters uh, in 24 hours, which is one year in 24 hours, just drone, you know. But luckily, we are, we were, we are a little bit east of uh, the Delta, so we got some rain. Every th three days, there was some rain, you know, so it's difficult to harvest that uh, that way. But finally, we did, of course, uh, much more rosé than, uh, than red. In such a year, you, don't, you better don't uh, do too much red because you don't get the ripeness of the tannins and so on. But the red we did, uh, I mean, uh, people loved it. And, uh, so it was unexpected, but a success. So uh, this is great. I mean, every harvest is uh, a bit like uh, racing on a boat, you know, on a sailing boat. You have your team. It's, it's very human. You have your team, you have your boat, so we have the cellar, we have the vines, but you never know what you're going to find as wind or, or anything. You know, some, some years are very easy. It's just like uh, we go from a point to another, just like on the spinnaker, you know, just like that. It's ripe, just harvest it and so on. And some years, such as uh, 2002, 2013, for instance, you need some uh, experience. And there is so many decisions every day to take, you know, shall we pick it or not? Should we take off the leaves? For instance, 2013, it was very green. It was very late ripening and the rot was around, you know, and it could come on the, on the grapes and so on. So uh, is it ripe? Is it not ripe? If it's not ripe, will it be uh, rotten? or not so sending another team taking off the leaves do a selection in the vine take off some rotten part to keep the the grapes on the on the vines uh, one one more week you know and to get finally good maturity and so on i mean this is very exciting also because you um, you're racing against the yeah team. you're racing you know it's sort of race yeah and you get to and drink the 78 at the end yes hopefully okay. <laughs> but it <That's> does <laughs> but it does seem like about every 10 or 11 years there's a big change or a notable change at Pibernon. So you start in 78, you come on in 89, and then in 98, you decide to change. And then in 08, you hired a winemaker. So it's like every 10 years, there's something that happens. Yeah, but I think I think the result right now with uh, Marie uh, Le Maître de Chais since 2008, the result that what we do now, we do it both. I mean, um, I'm very much involved also in the evolution process, of course. It sounds like there's a lot to oversee. 
with all these terraces and a lot of work. Yes. It's probably more than just one person. Yeah. You know, to yeah. do this. That's, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. That's how we, we work. I, li I like, uh, for instance, when we do the harvest, uh, we are always uh, three the chef de culture, the vine uh, manager, uh, the maître de chais, and myself. And we talk about it and we. Um, we, we do our tongues for the next day, you know, for, for the harvest, what we will do. But if we take this, okay, let's take that because it's ripe enough. It's the same terroir, you know, and it's good to be, uh, to be a few. Second because opinion. Yes, because we, we know all, all of us now, even Marie, uh, the chef de culture was there in 79. And Marie has been there since 2008. So uh, she knows very well now about every plot uh, as well. So uh, it's very good to, to have everyone's and saying, okay, finally, and to feel that what you're going to harvest the next day is going to make a great tank, a great wine, you know. So that's very important. Of course, uh, in 98, I was still working uh, myself in the cellar. I was still making the wine. But uh, my parents uh, stopped in 2003. And then I couldn't carry on being 100% involved in the cellar for two months, you know, September and October, with all the the the, um, the tiring is very tiring to uh, to. You needed some extra help without your parents there to help. Yeah, yeah. So in three, I um, I hired uh, someone who was doing uh, things with me on uh, my way, uh, my evolution. But he left after the two thousand seven uh, vintage, and then I started to work with uh, with Marie. Marie brought some um, sort of Burgundy culture, you know, in the winemaking. She was uh, with Meoka Musée for six months. Then she went in uh, Hungria, then in Turkey. She was very young, talentious. Uh, she plays music, you know, she plays hautbois. I don't know it in, in English. So she has some backgrounds, I mean, uh, and she's, she's clever, she's energetic, and she's very precise. So uh, we've, on s'est très bien entendu. We, it feels like that's what's in the wine is precision. Now. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the change from yes, when yes. I taste the young wines. They, exactly. They taste more precise than yeah, the old ones. Yeah. More precise. More precise. More, probably more precise in élevage as well. You know, we started to renew totally the uh, food, the oak in 2010. And now it's almost uh, finished. And this gave also a lot of precision because uh, to keep the fruits, to keep the tannins and, uh, and the stuff and so on makes sense also so now we are trying new things again we bought uh, some baked uh, clay eggs we bought some terracotta amphora uh we uh -oh, do getting crazy huh yeah yeah yeah. it's it's funny yeah it's good fun i mean uh it's interesting that's how we made uh, the new rosé uh, nuance 100 morvedre uh, rosé um i like that wine a lot like, yeah uh, quite a bit yeah so that was in clay or that was in uh, baked clay, yes. And that was lined clay, or it was uh... Uh, baked clay. In French, say grès, G-R-E-S. But there was nothing in between the the clay and the wine. There was no. I don't know, no, 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 because or anything. I don't know because the the clay is uh, it's baked on a very high temperature. It's a bit like porcelana, porcelaine, almost. You know, it's very noble uh, terra. Uh, earth, yeah. Soil. Yeah, earth soil, and uh, there is a fusion. So. It was very interesting for the, that's why we choose it for the rosé because as there is a fusion there is less porosity for the rosé and the rosé doesn't need so much oxygen during uh, the fermentation and uh, the aging so that's why we choose uh, baked clay 
compared to terracotta. And this year we bought the terracotta and we have uh, we've made some uh, red uh, inside. Yeah, but it's a small. I mean, terracotta has to be small. It's uh, nine hectoliters only. It's nine hundred liters. It's very few, but it's uh, it's the minimum to get enough uh, heat in the tank because uh, red wine should be fermenting. 28 degrees or something, you know. So uh, if it's too small, it doesn't uh, come up in uh, temperature. That was the first time you had made a Mouvedre 100% rosé, right? That yes. Once? Yeah. Because usually it's a blend of different grapes. It's right? a blend of two grapes, yeah. Because again, the usual rosé that we make is good in, in spring and summer, and also it's good in winter. So uh, the Sanso gives the exuberance when it's uh, spring and summer, and the Mauvaise is a bit behind. And in autumn, the Sanso is a bit kneeling down or showing less and then the Mauvais shows up more and again with the food you know you don't eat the same things in uh, in summer and in winter and as a matter of fact uh, with the Mauvais showing up in the rosé the food is, is very good with this kind of, of rosé so it's a warrior rosé I would say and what about the aging curves of these wines you know you make a white that seems like it ages pretty well the rosé <coughs> does pretty well aging and the, the yeah. reds but where do you like to drink them I mean when do you start opening bottles well, I think our wines are aging because they have a good acidity and also some minerality, which is very important because uh, in the white and the rosé, that makes the, the wine uh, tanning for a long time. And in the red, uh, the minerality will be very important when the tannins will get more round, rounder, you know, uh, more silky, and, uh, and the minerality keeps the wine alive and, uh, and standing up. So that's very important, and that's given, I think, by the soil. And I like the wine when it's uh, young, the year after the bottling, on the exuberance, it's much rounder. It's like a little pork, you know. It's very fat, sort of baby fat. So I like the wine at this period. Uh, and then, of course, the wine is a bit closing down, shows more the bones and uh, the muscles. So you've, it's better to forget it for maybe one year, one and a half. And then it's very nice to start again when it's about five, when five to eight years. And then again, there is a new step. And the one is showing up again uh, after the 12, uh, 15 years. So uh, if you have one case, drink the case in uh, 15 years, you have three different wines. I mean, with the same vintage, <laughs> which is nice. And how has your approach to stems changed over time? You said that that was kind of one of your key concerns coming out of 98, yeah. stems. So yeah. What do you do now? Now we, we keep the stem if they're ripe. So only. it varies yeah. to the vintage. Yes, it varies to the vintage. 2011, 2001... 2009, 2000, uh, that's it, they have no stem, you know. The ripening was very quick, the potential was very high, the grapes were very small, so the skin were thick, there was some tannins there. The seeds were between green and brown, you know, so the ripening was early, so there is no interest to keep some stem because the stem would be green, so it's not interesting. And also because there is a lot of tannins in the skin, you know. So in the skin, so you don't need so much. Uh, years like uh, 2008, for instance, uh, 2007, 2004, 2010, 2012, there is some stems. Not that much that we would put at that time. Probably now maybe the most should be about 15% in the last uh, tanks, you know, because the late harvest, uh, the first harvest we do in middle of September, at that time, the stems are not very ripe. So, uh, well, 
So, but we taste a lot the grapes, you know. We taste the grapes. We uh, taste the skin. Uh, we chew the skin to see how it, if it's arch, if it's uh, spicy, if there is some pepper. Morvet has some pepper. When you taste the Morvet grape, there is some pepper uh, showing in the, in the mouth uh, on the, the fruit, you know. It's very interesting to taste uh, that and to know exactly what you are harvesting. And then uh, what is great also is to do the pigeage because the pigeage is a real contact with the, with the fermentation. I mean, when you taste the juice, it, when you do some pumping over, you, you smell it, you have the juice, but you don't have the, the skins, you know. And when you do some pigeage, you are in contact with the skins and uh, the potential. So when you taste that, you get the information from the skins. Yes, yeah. And that helped and, you decide that you didn't need stems in certain years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, you, when, when it's done, when it's in the, in the tank, when you do the pigeage, also there is a good feeling of what has to be extracted or not. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's physical. It's, you feel it. Uh, so are those steel tanks? Yes. Yeah, steel tanks. Uh, I love concrete, but uh, the cellar is not organized uh, on this way. So maybe once, uh, I don't know, in a long time, but uh, because we have some other investments to do. But uh, I like concrete very much. What is very good with uh, stainless steel? The one we have, it's uh, stainless steel uh, 316, and there is titanium inside. So there is no, um, uh, you know, stainless steel people are a little bit fear of it because it's meant to uh, to give some uh, some stuff to the wine or something. But with this uh, 316 with titanium inside, it's totally neutral. And it's very good for the temperature because uh, our place is quite warm. And it's very good because you can control the temperature very well in stainless steel, better than in concrete. And that uh, probably led to that era of precision. Yeah, I it is. Yes, probably. it's interesting. And also, stainless steel is very strong. And when we do some pigeage, you know, we, we push on it quite hard. So uh, it, it's a good material as well. So how do you see Pibernon in the relation to other Bandol? Does it have a style from the terroir that's different than some of the other names that I might know? Yeah. Uh, Morvel is, um, is very interesting because it's a real, uh, it's like a, a picture paper, you know, it takes the taste of the soil. So uh, there is some bottle on clay, uh, there is some bottle on, uh, I mean, we are, we are different from Prado to Tampier to La Tour du Bon to Grenoble as well. I mean, this is different because of the soil. Of course, the winemaker is important as well. I mean, uh, we are important on the process, but uh, the soil is, uh, is different. And the Morved shows the soil, definitely. And I mean, Bandol is a small place, but uh, as soon as you focus on this small place, it's getting bigger. And then you, you, you see the differences between uh, the soil, the, the Morved on, on different soils. It's like Syrah is all over the North Rhone Valley, but there is, of course, some differences in Syrah between an Hermitage, a Cotroti, a Croze, or a Saint-Joseph. It's the same in Bandol, but Bandol is just one appellation, so uh, just one uh, appellation controlée. And the fact is, if there is so much Morved in, uh, in Bandol, it's probably because it's with exceptions, you know, in the north, but it's probably the northest uh, limit where the Mourvèdre ripes properly every year. Because it needs a lot of ripeness. It like needs a, a lot of late ripeness. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sun. Yeah. But is everyone growing the same thing? Like, is it the same clone for everybody? Do you feel like you're growing the same Mourvèdre that somebody else is? Or yeah, is there was a lot of clones in the 80s, which 
I mean, yeah, clone, uh, when you think about clone, you think about 1984 or uh, Adus Huxley or everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, anticipation and uh, my God, clones and clones. But some of them were good. I mean, the way they, they were chosen was on a good way. Low production, very good fermentation, very good taste after fermentation and so on. So, of course, at Pibarnon, we have our own selection. Uh, but my father planted some clones in different places. And it looks like what is the most important, and the soil is coming again, is the rootstock that you put. If you have a massal selection, which is coming from a plot that gives a very small bunch and so on, and small grapes, if you graft it on a rootstock that is, for instance, Ruggieri 140, which is very active, you know, you will get monsters. So the rootstock is very important as well. And the soil has, some, of course, some, a lot of importance. Even though at Pibarnon, we use our own um, graft. And nowadays, since uh, about three years now, we just plant the rootstock and we graft it after on the fourth year. So the rootstock is stronger, you know, it's better to get down and so on. The implantation is much better. And then we graft it and then we start the, the production like that. And it's also very good when we do the complantation, you understand the, the, the word complantation? In a plot, some vines, they will die. So you, we take them off and we plant new, uh, new vines. And this is a very good uh, way to the new little vine to grow up because um, otherwise there might be a lot of concurrency, you know, a lot of uh, challenging by the other old vines. And what other nuances have you been exploring in the last few years? What's going to be something you're going to be talking about in future releases? Well, it's not yet started, but we're going to start some uh, biodynamy. We are quite lucky because we have no neighborhood. I mean, the neighborhood is uh, some houses because we are top of the hill. So the view is, is huge and there is some houses as well. And, and else it's, uh, it's the pine trees and, uh, and the white balls, you see. So we can act on the biodynamic uh, way because it will be our own really 100% uh, influence of biodynamic there because there is no, no, no other vines. There's no chemical drift. No chemical drift, yeah. So it's going to be interesting. But this not, will not happen next year, but I think we will start uh, the year after. We couldn't start it uh, earlier because uh, we are organic growing since 2004. And uh, now after 10 years, 11 years, the balance is there. I mean, uh, it, it's pretty good. Balance is there and there is uh, no... It's, you know, the balance between uh, an insect that would attack the vine and the predator that lives also on the same plains. So there is no sort of uh, rise of problem of an insect. We are... It's all quiet now. It's great. So we, we can start then by an enemy. Eric de Saint-Victor of Chateau Pibernon has sailed into Bandol and enjoyed the race. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Eric de Saint-Victor of Chateau Pibernon in Bandol in the south of France. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com. 
which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.